Well, Bob, you know, most persuaded me to turn around and look when you get up here to sing. Say what's happening behind me. We're in Second Chronicles 29 tonight. As we talk about a king who came in in his 20s. God had a hold of his heart. And there was a change that went through how the kingdom of Judah is a result. And I think we're scripture reading. A, we're going to march through the chapter. But I, I want to just read the first five verses. So that's when you find that. Second Chronicles 29. If you stand in God's honor, so I read those first five verses. Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. In the first month of the first year of his reign, he opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites, assembled them in the square on the east side and said, Listen to me, Levites, consecrate yourselves now and consecrate the temple of the Lord, the God of your fathers. Remove all defilement from the sanctuary. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that's been saved for us that we might learn from you Pray tonight as we take a little time to look at this account in the scriptures of a 25-year-old king. Father, you got a hold of his heart. And, uh, my prayer is that you are still in that business, Lord, to get a hold of my heart. That I may see where there's some defilement that needs to be dealt with. Where I may worship you. And where I may set myself in a position to be prepared to receive your blessing, Father. So I just pray that you continue to work in our gathering. Holy Spirit, feel free to continue to draw us toward Jesus. And we'll trust that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, revival is... Uh, Something a lot of churches schedule on a calendar in spring, sometimes in the fall. Um, I guess we've moved away from that practice uh, in a lot of places. But you don't really schedule revival. You don't organize it. You don't orchestrate it. On a calendar, God has to do it. We don't control God. We don't tell him what to do and when to do it. All we can really do is to place ourselves in a position where we're ready to receive his blessings. Uh, here's a quote from uh, G. Campbell Morgan. We cannot organize revival, but we can set ourselves to catch the wind from heaven when God chooses to blow upon his people once again. Entitled this message, Preparation for Revival. Not that somehow we're going to twist God's arm to encounter us. But that our hearts will be hungry for him. That we'll long to meet him and be in a, in a ready for that. I love this quote from Leonard Ravenhill. Revival is when God gets so sick and tired of being misrepresented that he shows himself. That he reveals himself. 
So uh, let's look in the scripture here and see how Hezekiah prepared his heart so that the sails of his heart would be ready to receive the wind of God's spirit to blow upon his heart, to bring forth change. We learn here in Hezekiah, these first couple of verses, he's 25 years old, when he reigned upon the throne, and he ruled there for 29 years. And Just a little bit of background about this man. His father was King Ahaz. He was a man who did not love God. He was a man that caused a lot of pain in Judah. Matter of fact, he introduced idols of other gods and alongside with the worship of the one true God. And then it came to a point during his reign where he closed down the temple and the gathering of God's people to worship. And he had established idolatrous sinners throughout the land of Judah. And we're told that God responded to that with what I always like to call his spiritual spankings. And uh, he was pressed from every side, from enemies. The Philistines were invading Judah from the west. The Edomites were coming in from the east, taking territory, causing a lot of pain. But from the north, Ahaz, the leader of Assyria, Tiglath Pileazar was coming. And it was a very brutal kingdom. And he would come and he would execute people and people would become slaves. And, and Ahaz became desperate in this situation. And, and he tried to politic and work special deals to spare his land. Of course, uh, politics and political might and strong military and, and all of that has value. But that is not where real strength lies that's lasting. That would be in the Lord. This was uh, The scriptures say that this was just a part of God being at work to bring his people back to him. All of the spiritual spankings. It reminded me of a saying years ago by Barbara Bush when she was first laid in the White House. She said, your success as a family, our success as a nation depends not on what happens inside the White House, but on what happens inside your house. Now, that was his dad. I want to tell you, I know it's been a lot of time here, but I want to show you his mom. Notice what we read about his mother. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. Zechariah, during um, those years, was a priest in the land. So his mother was raised in a godly household. His mother lived for 16 years with a guy who was a terror. Matter of fact, as I was looking through here, you know, you have these blogs. I thought it was interesting. I ran across a blog by a lady who lives in Canada named Olga. And she, she actually wrote a blog on what must it have been like to be married to Ahaz. And, and here's what she wrote. Um, she said, just imagine being married to a guy who had this in his resume or his record. He completely rejects the Lord and worships idols of all kinds. He burns your own sons as sacrifices to idols. He commits adultery with multiple prostitutes in the most disgusting ways as part of idol worship. He's a complete loser as a leader. 
He instigates everybody around him to all kinds of sin and crime. He shuts down the church and prohibits everybody to worship God. He has obvious demonic anger outbursts, destroys anything that has to do with your faith, rips, burns your Bibles, destroys your worship DVDs. When he dies, he's buried with no due respect or no regret outside the city cemetery. That's what she lived with for 16 years. Her very name means my father is Yahweh. And I can't help but believe that she played a vital role in Hezekiah, this 25-year-old king. He watched his dad and he watched his mom. And he decided he wasn't going to repeat the reign of his dad. He decided that there had to be a change. But I believe that didn't Start with the change didn't start with what he saw merely around him and his parents. It had to come inside here. It had to come within his own heart. And as we read through the scripture here, as, as we read through what he's up to in the scripture, I just want to look at several things that I see here. First, in verse three, has um, he brought a, brought about change? Is he prepared his heart for the movement of God? He, Opened God's house to people and made needed repairs. Look at verse 3. It says, In the first month of the first year of his reign, he opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. His father had shut down the temple, had locked those doors, had prevented people from gathering to worship God. But Hezekiah came and he opened those doors. And his heart said, We need to return to God. We need to gather To worship the one true God. These doors need to be opened. And this place needs to be reestablished. It needs to be renovated. And and, you know let me just say a a word here as I thought about it. I know like we have the sign down there that says. You know this is not Kingsway Baptist Church. It's the meeting place of Kingsway Baptist Church. And that is true. But we also don't need to let this place fall down around us. We, we We need to take care of a place where we gather to worship God. I was thinking about that as, as a couple of the guys went out and just recently this past week, you know, changed out there for landscaping in front of the church. And it looks so good and I appreciate their hard work. And and then, you know, Saturday we're going to come out here and plant some stuff. And, and then Larry's working on getting the floors stripped and re-waxed. We'll have that shine. And all that matters. Why, you know, we don't want to invite people to come to a place where we want to show them we love God if it doesn't look like we care at all about the place where we meet. And so all that matters. And as he repaired those doors, I think it's a message to us that this place we meet in, where is this not the most important thing? It is an important thing, important place. Secondly, with that, in the New Testament, we're told that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is his house. This is where he lives. This is... His house, where he set up housekeeping, is in my heart and in your heart. And, and, and so there needs to be repairs there. And that's where, as we go on in the Scripture, that's what we learn and that's what we see. Um, which is the next part along with this. He begins with the leadership. He confronted them in their own personal walk with God. Look what he says in verses 4 and 5. It says he brought in the priests and the Levites, and he assembled them in the square on the east side, and he said, listen to me, Levites. Consecrate yourselves now. Consecrate the temple of the Lord. 
the God of your ancestors. Remove all defilement from your sanctuary. He brought these leaders together. He said, guys, if we want the nation to return to God, the leaders need to return to God. No more playing church. No more games of showing up to go through the ritual and not worshiping God, not turning to God. We've got to be honest in approaching God. And as he's gathered these church leaders, he, he said to them, guys, you have to get rid of the defilement in the church. And it's interesting, as, as you look down through the scripture here, we learn that it took them 16 days to get the defilement out of the temple, out of the sanctuary. There is a, 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 sometimes it takes time. We can bow our hearts to God and say, God, show me what needs to be cleaned up. Show me what needs to be fixed, what needs to be dealt with, where I need to respond to your spirit. And, and oftentimes that's not an immediate work. He continues to work in us as, as we're honest and we're open to him to, to be able to deal with these things that need to be cleaned up, to, to come before God. Um, turn me to Jeremiah. Remind me of Jeremiah 6. As he talked through the prophet. In Jeremiah 6, starting at verse 15, he says, Are they ashamed of their loathsome conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. I had wondered with these priests, the temple had been closed. What were they doing? Are we in a land where even the leadership of God has no standards. Um, it's kind of scary. They have no shame at all. They do not know how to blush, so they will fall among the fallen. They will be brought down when I punish them, says the Lord. Wow, what a rebuke. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But you said we will not walk in it. I'm thankful here that when the king approached these priests, they didn't try to argue with him. They didn't try to make excuses. They didn't try to rationalize. With they went in and started cleaning out the temple. They went in and just started taking those steps. And it, like I said, it took 16 days. It took some work. But they just went to work. And that's what we've got to do. In the process of doing that, they followed the word. Notice what he says um, here down in verse 15. He had gathered all of them together. Well, as you go down through the scripture here, man, they're just brutally honest. Look at verse 6. He says, our fathers were unfaithful. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord our God and forsook him. You know, that, that's one thing before I go down through here. Um, he's just honest. We make so many excuses. It's nobody's fault. It just happened. Baloney. Repentance comes when we're willing to be honest. They were honest as they poured out their heart. So you come down to 15. He says, When they had assembled their brothers and consecrated themselves, they went in to purify the temple of the Lord, as the king had ordered, following the word of the Lord. Hezekiah gave instructions on what to do. It says, according to the word of the Lord. What's that tell me? Hezekiah knew the word of the Lord. 
25-year-old guy had spent time getting in the Scriptures. He watched a father who was an enemy of God. And he watched a mother who suffered and loved God. He said, I've got to get into the Holy Book, the Holy Scrolls. And I've got to learn about this God who loves us. And as he read in there, he saw that there was a way to follow God. And he came to those priests. He said, we've got to follow the Scriptures. We've got to follow God's way. We've got to turn to the ancient ways, as it says in Jeremiah, and walk in it. And return to the Lord. I'm so grateful their hearts weren't closed as they went. And they followed the Lord in that and were faithful. It reminds me of a verse in Hosea 10, 12. What a great verse. He says, sow righteousness for yourselves and reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up your unplowed ground so that showers of righteousness from God will fall on you. (laughs) Sow that righteousness. Follow God. It's what he's saying to him. And he's saying... Hey, if you want to reap that unfailing love, you got to break up that, that hard ground. you got to let God do that work that might hurt. It hurts to break up hard ground and prepare the soil and prepare the heart. It hurts to be honest before God. But he says, if you want those showers of righteousness to fall on you, you got to break up that ground. you got to be honest before God. you got to do that work and you got to follow Him. And the reform, the change of God's people started with a person, one at a time. He always works that way. You know how he changes the church? By changing the church. By changing me. We are the church. As he changes each of us one at a time. And as you come through that consecration, you see that change. There are three kind of offerings that are mentioned in this chapel chapter. First are the sin offerings. Notice verse 21 They brought seven bulls, seven rams, seven male lambs, seven male goats as a sin offering for the kingdom, for the sanctuary, and for Judah. The king commanded the priest, the descendants of Aaron, to offer these on the altar of the Lord. The sin offering is a picture of the substitution where our sin is paid for by a living sacrifice. You know, the verse in Hebrews, I think it's 9.22, that says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. No remission of sin. The picture was they would take the animal, the priest would take the animal, and he would hold the head of the animal, and he would slice the throat of the animal. And, of course, there was a lot of blood. You know, as I look at these sacrifices, they are horrific. As the blood would flow from the animal as the life would leave the animal as the sacrifice would be completed and the picture was there's an identification that this sacrifice is going to provide forgiveness it's on the behalf of the sin of the people and why was it so ugly why was it so horrific why was there so much blood because sin is ugly and sin is horrific and the cost of sin is very high I I think it was such a a brutal, nightmarish ritual because God wanted us to know sin is costly. There's a great price that's to be paid for sin. And of course, we know what it says about our Lord Jesus Christ, don't we? That He's the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sin of the world. That He's a perfect Lamb without spot or wrinkle or blemish, but holy and blameless. 
And you see, there's the picture of that sacrifice. The, the priest, since he gave the sacrifice, he identified with the sacrifice, and thus he received the forgiveness. And that's really our story. We receive with the sacrifice of God, the Holy Lamb, Jesus Christ, and his sacrifice upon the cross. It is that personal identification with the Lord Jesus Christ that offers us a new hope and a new life and complete forgiveness that comes through him and through his finished work. His, the righteousness of the sacrifice transfers to the sinner. And of course, that's the story of Jesus Christ. And then another, then the blood, the rest of the blood was wiped on the horns of the altar, poured out on the foot of the altar. The rest of the flesh was either burned there or taken outside of the camp and burned and sacrificed. Then there was another ram to be sacrificed on the altar. And that from that sacrifice, blood was placed on the right earlobe, blood was placed on the right thumb, and blood was placed on the right big toe. And it was an ordination of the priest at that time. And it was a way of saying to the priest, as you are set aside for God's work, your ear, what you hear is to be for God. Holy, set apart for God. What you do from that right thumb, how, how your hands, your work, it's to be dedicated. It's to be for God. And, and that toe, that right toe, it represents where you go, everywhere you go. It's to be for God. And then they would take some blood and they would sprinkle it on their garments as a way of being... Able to communicate. You are set apart for God. You belong to God. You're his servant. The sin offering. The sacrifice. Turn me to Romans chapter 8. Man I, I love this section of scripture. Verses 1 through 4. Therefore there is now. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I just can't get tired of that. It's so awesome. Because sometimes I think. Man, you are screwed up. And then I'll go and read this and say, Thank you, Lord. No condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's good. Because through Christ Jesus, that's the cross, that's his work, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. I've been set free. Through that identification, through the sin offering of Jesus Christ, I have been set free from the Law of sin and death. Look at verse 3. He says, For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the Spirit. That's the work of the sin offering. There's a second offering that's back in Second Chronicles 29, which is the burnt offering, which is mentioned in verse 27. Hezekiah gave the order to sacrifice the burnt offering on the altar. The burnt offering pictured consecration. It was a picture of totally dedicating oneself to the Lord. It was about surrender. It reminds me, of course, of Romans 12, 1, that we quote so often, where Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. You always look at his mercy. Man, we've got to look at his mercy. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies 
as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. He says, this is your spiritual act of worship. Your spiritual act of worship is to get up and say, God, I'm yours. Another day, Lord. As someone has said, the problem of the living sacrifice, it's always trying to crawl off the altar. So we constantly need to say, God, help me get back there. Help me to trust you, Lord, to be yours today, to follow you. I always think that Galatians 2.20, you know, um, where he says um, that um, I, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me by the life I live in the body. It's, it's not by the flesh, but it's the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That That's so critical. That's so important, the work that he does. And, and then the third one is the thank offering that pictures devotion to God, the thank offering. As, as he um, mentioned of, of having the thank offerings before the Lord, bowing down before him in the chapter as well, and offering those sacrifices to the Lord, which shows devotion. It's a way of saying, God, I've come to you to be cleansed, to sacrifice the sin offering. God, I'm coming to you to be devoted. That's the burnt offering. And now, Father, um, I just want to thank you. That, that's the You think about it. That's the progression of the Christian life. We're saved. We come to him. Then we're called to walk with him. And then as a result of that, we thank him. We live in that attitude of gratitude day by day as we serve him, as we follow him. Listen, this is from Hebrews 13, 15, and 16. Through Christ, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. God is pleased. So how can we tell the soul's been plowed up to receive God's harvest? Celebration. Notice uh, as we go down through the scripture here, they, they had the sin offering in verse 25. He stationed the Levites in the temple of the Lord with cymbals, harps, lyres, and the way prescribed by David, and Gad the king seer, Nathan the prophet. This was commanded by the Lord through his prophets. So the Levites stood ready with David's instruments and the priest with their trumpets. <laughs> Hezekiah gave the order to sacrifice the burnt offering on the altar. As the offering began, singing to the Lord began also, accompanied by trumpets and the instruments of David, king of Israel. They sang to God. They worshipped him with those instruments. There's power in music that leads us to praise and moves the emotions and moves the heart. And, and man, they were using that to the Lord. Beautiful music. And what was the result of that music? I love it. It says... Um, when the offerings were finished, the king and everyone present with him knelt down and worshipped. Verse 28, we read the whole assembly bowed to worship. And then after the sacrifice, the king bowed and worshipped with his core. No one is above the Lord God. No person. There was celebration and celebration always ends on her knees. Always ends with hearts bowed to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords as there is celebration. As we go through the text here time and time again, it, it reads that as they offered the sacrifices, they worshipped and they sang and they offered their hearts 
to the living God as effect of rededication to him. So I guess as I come to this, I guess um, we ask ourselves a question is, you know, of course you have the sin offering, which is, have you done business with God and been saved and changed? But then there's the burnt offering, which is, we might refer to that as rededication. Are there areas that need to be given to God? Areas of our life that need to be rededicated, need to be looked at again. And third, is there something we need to thank him for that we've taken for granted? Look at verse 36. He says, Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced at what God had brought about for his people because it was done so quickly. There was all this suffering and there was all this pain. And when they got down to business and started cleaning out the temple and started preparing their hearts, man, there was a change that happened quickly as God began to move among his people. He can move in a moment. Are we prepared for that twinkling of an eye that means we're headed home? Because it says when he comes back, it'll be like the twinkling of an eye. Are we prepared for an encounter with him in gathered worship at Kingsway? Years ago when I was in seminary, um, there was a guy from the church that I served. I mean, not that I served, that I grew up in, became, well, that I became a Christian in. I didn't really grow up in church. I came in through a youth group, guys, and came to know the Lord through youth. Um, and there was a guy named John Avent who was, he was probably 10 years ahead of me. And he, we went, ended up going to the same seminary. He went down to a church in Texas. And Brownsville, Texas, a revival broke out. It started in three or four different churches. John's church was one of the churches. Well, people from all over called John up. What'd you do? What happened? What program did you use? What What did you do for all these people coming in the church? And uh, he said, nothing. We just did what we always do. But we came to church one day. God showed up. But I loved it because it was like, I didn't do anything. We need to prepare our hearts and see what God does. Let's pray. Lord, uh, I have my ideas. Father, I have my wants. But Father, I I don't want to tell you what to do or um, act like I know what's best. I just want to meet you, Lord. And I pray, Father, that you would prepare our hearts as a church family to be ready when you want to bring your powerful presence here, um, Father, in a way we don't expect how great to be surprised by you, Lord. Um, I thank you for Hezekiah as he prepared the hearts of the church leaders and prepared the temple and put the people in a position where they could worship and where you would be in the rightful place in the community, in the hearts. And I pray you do that among us, Lord. 
It may not be a big group, but that was never a prerequisite for you to work. And so I pray, Father, that you would use this, Lord. Do something mighty, God, something special. And, and show us what we need to do. It took them 16 days to do some cleaning. Um, Father, may we do some cleaning and um, just be honest with what you want. And uh, I just pray, Father, you turn things your direction, Father, because we need you. So, Father, as we stand, as we sing, um, just speak to our hearts and what you want us to do. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand.